Well, before we get started, I would like to tell everyone that this week, my mom and dad will be celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary this week. Oh, if you only knew, you know, God is real, you know. <laughs> and he has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful uh, for my mom and dad and for the years that, don't get emotional, don't get emotional, the years that uh, I was running uh, as fast as I could away from the Lord and, and as fast as I could into the world and involved in all sorts of stuff. And my parents could have said, you are the worst. We can't have you around this place anymore. You're a terrible person. And they never, ever, ever, ever gave up hope and they never stopped praying for me. They never stopped encouraging me. They never stopped loving me. And it was because of my parents and their example that I'm standing here today. So, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for all that. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Oh, Secret Sisters. There's a sign-up out there. If you haven't signed up for Secret Sisters yet, ladies, uh, guys, you can't do that. I don't care what's going on out in the world. <laughs> you can't sign up for Secret Sisters at Berean Calvary Chapel, all right? Keep your own secret someplace. All right, it's Victoria's Secret, the Secret Sisters, there's no guys allowed, all right? Uh, there's a, sorry about that, there's a sign-up sheet out there. Uh, ladies, if you've never been involved with Secret Sisters, I encourage you, it's a great opportunity to encourage one another, to be praying for one another, and I don't know if you've been paying attention, you need prayer. We need prayer, and we need to be praying for one another, we need to be encouraging one another. One of the things that I've always hoped for, and that, that the vision I believe that God has given us for this church, is that it would be a, a sort of aid station, uh, or an oasis, a place where people can come who are hurting, who are, who are lost, or people who are fighting the good fight, or whatever the case may be, and are going through it in this life, and that when you come into this place, you're going to get the truth, you're going to get the Word of God, uh, hopefully divided appropriately and correctly, and you're going to be encouraged. Because no matter what the Word of God says, and how, how it can lay us low sometimes, it can really truly be that sort of the spirit that divides us right down the center, and it judges our thoughts and our intentions uh, and it can just just nail us right right to the point. Uh, always, 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 the will of God for your life is that through the truth of God's word, you would be built up, you would be edified, you would be brought up to a place of strength, a place of being able to fight the good fight in the faith that you have, and that you would be encouraged, and that you would have a joy in your heart that the world does not have, and that you would have a peace, as the Bible says, that passes understanding. Now, what it means is to say a peace that passes understanding, it's is that it's, it's beyond understanding. Why the heck do you have peace? You know, why should you have peace? Why should you be happy? You know, I, I remember there was one guy in particular at work years and years ago, and, and, and he, would, he would make it a point. And he wasn't being mean or nasty or anything like that, but he would make it a point to say, what are you so happy about? And then he would instantly regret it saying that because I'd tell him what I'm so happy about. No, it's not just that I have the most beautiful, wonderful wife in the whole wide world, the most perfect children who always obey me and completely never, ever do anything. You know, it's not just that. Not that I never have any problems in this world or bills to pay or how are we going to make this happen. I'm happy because I have a peace that passes understanding. 
and I have a joy in my heart that nobody can ever take away. People think I'm joking about, and, I, and I don't, I'm not a conspiracy guy, because quite frankly, I just don't care enough. I just don't care enough. They're going to lock us up. FEMA camps need preachers too. That's what I always say. And you say, oh, that's not, it's all fun and games. No, no, I mean that. I mean that. I don't, you know, if that was the case, if that's what it comes down to, and that's what it was, Paul was preaching in change. He did his best work in cuffs, man. And so if the day ever came that that was what was chosen for me by God, then so be it, and hope and would to God that I would do my best work in cuffs as well. Because my peace that I have does not come from the things of this world. I tried that. I tried that. I tried getting it all from this world. I, I tried getting happiness. I tried getting fulfillment. Even as a believer, I tried getting happiness and fulfillment from the things of this world, from relationships, from whatever the case may be. And what I found is, is that God has created you in such a way that the natural things and the things of this world can never, ever in a million years give you the things that you were only built, created, and designed to have through a relationship with Almighty God. And so that's where the peace that passes understanding comes from. That's where the hope comes from. That's where the joy comes from. And yet we find this thing, this evil thing within us because we're it's trapped inside of these bodies of flesh and all of the thoughts and the desires and the sin natures that go along with it. We find ourselves like a dog that returns to its vomit or a man who looks at his reflection in a mirror and, and then it goes away immediately forgetting what he looked like, we find this truth in ourselves where we keep going back to the elemental and basic things of this world as though at this time it's going to work. And hopefully there God reminds us it's never going to work. You know why? You are ruined for this world. I'm an old cowboy movie. Don't judge me, Okay. I have a wife for that. There's no, <laughs> I pop up like that, 50 years, you know. Oh, boy. There's an old cowboy movie, and I believe it's Dennis Quaid, as Doc Holliday says to Wyatt Earp, for some people, this world ain't never going to be right. Don't you feel like that sometimes? If you look around yourself today and you say it's all crazy, nothing makes sense anymore, right is wrong and up is down and all these other things, congratulations, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, and the prophecies of the scriptures tell us that in the last days, the spirit of Antichrist that was already work early in the first century, Paul said. The spirit of Antichrist was already at work. And in the last days, it was going to consume this place. And so that people were not going to see things the way they truly are, but they were going to instead only see things the way they want to see them. And, in, and just in case in your mind you're thinking of a certain group of people, it's the people on your side of the aisle too. Hello? You see... The, the, the new left in our country today, and I'm going to get political, but not for the sake of being political, okay? The new left in the country today, their righteousness, their goodness comes from their wokeness, from being social justice warriors, right? Social justice, and they get their, their, their righteousness from that, and their religious zealots in it, because try going against them. They'll kill you dead on Facebook, Right? Now, on the other side of the aisle, on the right, 
You have people who get their sense of righteousness and their sense of well-being and doing good and being on the right side of things from their patriotism or from their understanding of what America was really supposed to be in all of this stuff. They're just as wrong. Righteousness, truth, justice, holiness comes from one source. And it ain't no government. Not even from that beautiful constitution or that declaration of independence you guys all love so much, mostly just because you're a bunch of rebels. It comes from the word of God and our relationship with him. Don't you cling to anything in this world, even from people on your side of the aisle that are telling you that's where some sort of righteousness or hope is found. That's not where it's at. It's right here. And, and it's right here. Where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. I love it. When we have communion, as a matter of fact, no, I'm kidding. When we have communion, it's like, I wish we were today. When we have communion and we're gathered here, do you understand it's just as real as the Last Supper? Do you understand that? He's just as much here as he was that night. Maybe in some ways more so because of the promise of the Holy Spirit that has been fulfilled. Our hope, our hope, our joy, our life is bound up in the plans and the things of God. And if we try to find it someplace else, we're going to be sore disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to be picking up in verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 17, thank you, sir, and verse 14. I really, I know where I am. I swear, I swear, I know, I know where I am today. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, starting with verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, or lest he be stabbed through the heart. No, that's not really there. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Why? That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, 
and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So, first things first. Now, the beginning of chapter 17 started off uh, with Moses giving them a commandment to not bring a sacrifice before the Lord that was maimed or that, was un, that was, had a blemish or a spot, but they were to bring their very best. He then goes from that point on into talking about anyone who is lawless in their deeds, anyone who refuses to obey and live their lives according to the commandments of God was to be brought before the elders or the judges on the basis of two or two or three witnesses, and they were then to be put to death And all evil was to be put out of their sight and to be put away from them for the purpose of dealing with wickedness, but also for the purpose of everyone else seeing that and saying, I better not do that either, okay? And now God takes Moses right into this commandment concerning the king, which is an interesting one uh, because of what we know about God and what we know about his, his real thoughts, his real intentions towards the nation of Israel. Israel was always to have been, under God's sovereign will, a theocracy, okay? A theocracy. They were to be a nation that was led by the Lord. Yes, they had priests and the Levites, and they had Moses, and after Moses, they had Joshua. They had the judges that came, that came around after that, and prophets, but all of it was to be, they were to be nothing more than the voice piece of Almighty God, and he was going to be the one that leads the nations. And yet, here in Deuteronomy 17, 14, God says, when you come in the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me, and then he gives them the instructions for the king that was to go over them. And so I want to get into that a little bit this morning. If you would turn with your Bible, in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is just a couple of books away. <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. Did you get that? 1 Samuel chapter 8. You got to get it on your smartphone. I hear, what do I still hear pages flipping for? You guys are so traditional. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. 1 Samuel 8 and verses 4 to 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, Sam, look, you're old. That was nice. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And those are the operative words there, friends. Like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Notice, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Samuel, join the club. You feel rejected? You feel cast away? You feel as though all the work and all the effort that you've put in is for naught, and the people are just trampling trampling it underfoot? Get in line, Samuel. Try being me for a day. Understand this about human nature, okay? Earlier, we were talking about your human nature and how it will always let you down. 
Guess what is true about everyone else's human nature too? It will definitely let you down. Just because one of the things about human nature is we put ourselves first, right? We put ourselves first. People are always going to let you down. Even the people that are the most close, dear, and precious to you are at times in your life going to let you down. God's intention was never for you to put all of your hope and trust into not being let down by even the closest people around you. The nature of people is to let down. I talk to people when I talk about ministry all the time, is that at some point, the, I think the average uh, length of a, of a pastor's tenure is about five years and they quit. It's either three or five years and they quit. And what I said is, and the Lord taught me this early on in, my, in, in the ministry before I came back to Berean, that if you are looking in any way, shape, or form for, for your ministry to find some sort of fulfillment in your ministry by the actions of the people or by the people themselves, you are going to be disappointed. You are going to be let down. At times, you're even going to be stabbed in the back by people or hurt by people. And if that's what you were looking to get out of the ministry in any way, shape, or form, whether you realize it or not, you are in for disappointment. But instead, anyone who is in the, in, the, in the ministry needs to understand that we minister for the Lord. We minister, we do it for Jesus Christ. I love you guys. I think you're awesome. I really enjoy you, okay? But I don't do this for you. I do this to the best of my ability, God willing, for Jesus Christ, I find my fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And I appreciate when people say, hey, that was a great message. That's, thank you very I appreciate, always appreciate the encouragement. But I know me. And I know that most Sunday mornings I wake up and I start the day off praying and begging for forgiveness because I realize how unworthy I am to stand up here in front of you guys and break open the word of God. But, net, but yet, this is what God has called me to do. And it is all about him. For me and for dad too i know it's all about him and in the ministry that god has given you in your life whatever it may be because all of you have a ministry if you haven't found a ministry yet be praying and asking god to show you what your ministry is because he has a ministry for you and the same thing goes for you it's all for jesus it's all all for jesus and so uh in 1 Samuel 8, 4 to, 4 to 8, the people are crying out. Now, Samuel is the last judge in Israel, and he is the last judge before the first king in Israel, who was King Saul, followed by King David, followed by Solomon, and so on, and so on, and so on. But here, right at the beginning of the people crying out, just as God had spoken to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 17, that they were going to ask for a king, and when they asked for a king, here's the manner of king, and here's the way he's supposed to operate, and here's the way he's supposed to conduct himself, and yet, God says here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they've not rejected you, they're rejecting me. I've heard people talk about the sovereign will of God and the permissive will of God, that there is his perfect will, and then there uh, is his will that takes into account our shortcomings as though either one was okay with him, just one is better. Of course, God's sovereign will is the best, but his permissive will is okay too, and that is not the case, and that is not true. The problem is, 
Uh, and I think this is a great portion of Scripture that we just read that exposes that. God's will is God's will. God's word is God's word. And he never, ever, ever winks at or approves of on the slide our disobedience to his word. God is merciful, God is gracious, and he does not consume me when I deserve it. But that must never, ever be mistaken for God's seal of approval. Every single thing in your life and every single action in your life, if it falls outside of the lines of what God's word has commanded, it is sin, pure and simple. It is disobedience. It is rebellion. It's not cute. It's not okay. It's not God understands. Well, you see. Well, you know. Well, if you only knew. There's God's will, and there's God's word, and then there's everything else. There's everything else. And I think the one should never be confused with the other. The fact that he knows that we will be disobedient, and in his divine grace, he will forgive that and still use us does not negate the fact that he gave his word, and we just chose to not do it. In the Bible, when it says that God was sorry, uh, I remember at the beginning in, Ge in Genesis, and it says God was sorry that he created man. He was sorry for, for the creation. Or when it says in God's word that God's re God relented of something, it does not mean that he was wrong about something. Uh, this is a doctrinal truth that I thought was very important for us to cover this morning, seeing that God is talking about having a king when it was never his will for them to have a king. Okay. When God says he was, when the Bible says that God was sorry or that God relented of something, it never means that God was wrong about something. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Now, it's interesting here because this, is a, this, is, this verse is telling us two things. First of all, it's telling us that God is not man, and so he doesn't lie, or the son of man, and he should repent. The other thing that it's telling us is that's what we do. That's what we do. We lie, whether you're lying to yourself. Honey, you know, does this dress make me look fat? You know what I mean? How do I look? To, you look great. You look fantastic. You tell your boss, you, you walk into the boss, and you're going to, you know you're about to be chastised by the boss for something you did, and you walk in and you go, are you losing weight? My goodness, boss, you look amazing. Hey, I just wanted to start off this meeting by saying how appreciative I am for you, how thankful. You, you are an awesome boss. I'm so lucky, just lucky to have you as my boss. We lie. We lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to other, and as a consequence of that, along with a lot of our other fleshly actions, you know what else we do? We repent. We repent, or we have to, or we need to repent. These are our two actions, right? We're, we're serving God. We want to worship God. We want to serve God. We want to do the right things, but don't we find it? And isn't this our nature as it's constantly this falling and repenting? and falling and repenting. Now, hopefully the longer you walk with the Lord, it's shorter falls, right? Shorter falls, and the repenting doesn't have to be, you know, sackcloth and ashes, you know. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, he's no way he's going to let me back in this time. But this is what we do. We lie and we repent. God 
does not lie. God does not repent. Everything written of God in the scriptures is so that we, in our feeble understanding, might know his nature and understand the big picture about him. It's never so that we can put him in the box of our limited understanding. This is blasphemous in nature and dangerous to our faith. It's blasphemous in nature and dangerous to our faith to attempt to take God and his nature and put it in the box of my understanding, to try to figure out why God is doing a certain thing. And, and, and even worse, to judge God. Well, I don't think that was right that God did that. Or I don't understand why God, well, it's okay to not understand, you know, get used to it, right? But I don't think it's right that God did this. I don't see why God would allow this. And to have some sort of an, a, a judgmental nature or, or anger towards God because of what he's doing. God is God. God is sovereign. Our position before him is one of worship and service. That's it. That's, that's where God calls us to be. Um, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, gee, God. You know, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I kind of feel stupid now. But God is pointing this out. We need to always understand who God is. Just because, and, and, and I, I, it's one of the things I, in my life, my own life, I think about this often. If I would have done things the right way, if I never would have strayed from the faith, if I would have followed along the path of a good pastor's son and the denomination that we were in and stuff like that and done the right things, no doubt I would have went from high school to Bible school and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I look at my life and I look at my family and say, I probably would have never met my wife. I probably would have never had the family that I have. And so it's almost, should I be, should I be thankful that God allowed me to do that so that I have the things that I have now and I am where I am today? Or, and I, I get confused by that. But here's what I know, what God's Word says. If God wanted me, this might be a dumb example, maybe to some of you this is ringing true or, or, or telling you something you need to know today. If I was following God and I was doing the right things before the Lord and not just whatever I wanted to do, and his sovereign will was for me to be married to that woman back there, guess what? He'd have made a way. He would have made a way. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our input God needs or God requires our, our, our side of the relationship, obedience. Obedience to what God says. Obedience to what God has given us in his word. So uh, here, here's what, here's what it's, we'll go over this again. You shall surely set a king over you, verse 15, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Now, of course, we had the famous story of when Saul is rejected as king and Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse where God sends him and Jesse brings out all of his sons, starting with the oldest. He brings his sons out and God says, nope, I've rejected him. Nope, I've rejected him. Nope, 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 nope. And finally, they get to the end. He didn't even bring David out. Jesse didn't. You know, the hippie kid who's out playing a harp with the sheep. 
you know, he, well, he didn't even bring David out. And Samson says, there's no one. Well, there's David, but he's, he's out with the sheep. Well, bring him here. And as soon as David was brought before Samuel, the Lord says, this is the one. Now, think of all that you know about King David. Think about all of the truths. And how many times do you read the Psalms? How many times do we learn from the Psalms? And God, that was all based upon the fact that God had chosen him who no one else would have chosen. His father didn't think he was worth it or was was capable. His brothers despised him for it. And Samuel didn't see him coming. But God did, and God chose him. I love that part of that portion of Scripture. Uh, And here's what he says. You shall say, uh, king over you, you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So, first, for, for, first and foremost, God chooses him. Secondly, he's one of your brothers. Not a foreigner, but one who understands. In other words, one who's understood and one who's been trained and one who's been taught from the time they're little who the Lord your God is who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I think that's more important than their nationality. But he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now, Solomon, the third king of Israel, the third king, broke nearly all of these, nearly all of these rules. It specifically says in the scriptures that horses were brought to him from Egypt. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's a thousand. Man, aren't you glad to be a woman today, ladies? You know, the back in those days, a thousand. He had 700 concubines and 300 wives. God blessed Solomon with great wisdom so that he wrote the book of Proverbs. And then when you get to the, the book of Ecclesiastes, which he also wrote, you find out he broke all of the ones he wrote in Proverbs. Okay. He found out, Solomon did, that his flesh, left unchecked, trumped his wisdom. Solomon found out that his flesh, unchecked, trumped his wisdom. All the things that God showed him and all the things that God used him to write down in the book of Proverbs. You ever go through the book of Proverbs, just verse by verse, meticulously? It's unbelievable, the wisdom that's in there. And then you get to Ecclesiastes, and Solomon's an older man, and he goes through and he goes, I didn't deny myself anything. I did anything that I wanted. I did everything that my heart desired, and it's all vanity. It's all useless. It's all worthless. What's it for? We're all going to die. Wow, Solomon, that's great. Thank you for that. Because he found out that his flesh trumped his wisdom. David, his father, had said this in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I love that. One of the saddest things as you go through the kingdom years when we get into First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and then you go into the, into the prophets, what you find out is that at some point in time, the Israelites, the kingdom of uh, the southern kingdom, went back to Egypt to ask Pharaoh to protect them. When the prophets of God were standing before the kings and were saying, thus saith the Lord, 
if you don't put away the spiritual harlotry from your midst, if you don't stop worshiping the Baals and the Astoreth poles, if you don't start doing what's right with the orphans and the widows, if you don't start taking care of yourselves to do the things that God has given you in his word to do, this nation is going to be brought to ruin. And they had lost the understanding of God's word so badly that not only did they not heed the words of the prophets, they did exactly what God commanded them not to do in Deuteronomy, and they went back to the well of Egypt. I like what God says in verse 16. He shall not multiply horses, uh, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. That's a great word for us, okay? You think of the old days, the bad old days, Right? Hindsight's 2020, but hindsight also is not realistic. You think about some of the old days sometimes, and you can grow whimsical about stuff and forget about the lost condition of your heart or the despair or the sadness that you felt. And God says, you shall not return that way again. You shall not return that way again. I love that, por that portion. Um, Isaiah wrote during the days of the last king, some of the last kings of Israel, and he said... In Isaiah 31, 1 and 3, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots. I mean, he's quoting David in reverse. Because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. That's where the nation of Israel came to the place where they were absolutely not seeking God for anything in any aspect of their lives. Socially, secularly, in their government, in any part of their nation, they didn't want God's input on, every, on anything. And you may find this true in your life as a Christian. When you try to put God's word or what you know as a believer into a situation with your friends, with your family who may not know the Lord, you're going to find they're not looking for that. They're not looking for that at all, but we are to be looking to the Lord. He says, he continues in verse 3, now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who is helped will fall down. They will all perish together. And of course, Babylon swept across that region and destroyed and dominated everything in their path and did take the nation of Israel into captivity. Uh, verse 18, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, Levites, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. He was never, ever, ever, the king was never, ever, ever supposed to think of himself as being better than the people that he governed. He was never supposed to think of himself that way. And to... And I, I could be mistaken. I couldn't find any, any, any of the kings. David wrote, actually wrote scripture, but I couldn't find any occurrence in, the, uh, in Kings Chronicles or any of the stories of the kings where any of them actually took a pen and took a parchment or a scroll or whatever and wrote down, copied down the words of the law. 
They copied down the word of God as they were, had been instructed by God to do. God said, I want the king, the one who's in charge, to literally copy the scriptures word for word and then keep it with him at all times. So that he's careful, he's careful to fear the Lord his God and to honor the commandments of the Lord his God. By the time Josiah becomes king later on in the kingdom years, they find the book of the law buried in a wall in the temple. And they bring it to Josiah and they say, we found this scroll. And he opens it up and it's the law. It's this, it's Deuteronomy, it's Leviticus. They didn't even know what the scroll was at that point in time in their history. They had completely, not only did they forget the commandments of the Lord their God, they completely forgot that there was anything required of them by God at all. They were completely living their lives and conducting their affairs based on the wisdom of their own flesh and of their own understanding. And the results were disastrous. They bring the scroll to Josiah and he opens up and he begins to read it and he realizes that this is the law, this is the commandments of God. And as he's reading through it, he begins to tear his robes and to weep and to pray and to beg God for forgiveness because of how far they had fallen from what God's word had said. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. The importance of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have to gather together, Lord. We ask and pray, uh, Lord, that in our hearts personally, Father, and collectively as a church, and as a body of believers, Father, in, and in our, in our country, Lord, all the Christians, we pray for all the churches, uh, Lord, who are gathered together today, Father, help us to return to putting all of our hope and all of our trust in you, Father, uh, into what your word says and into the soon appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, that that would be what, what motivates us, Lord, that that would be the thing that gives us peace and hope in our hearts and in our lives, Father, that we would find all the things that this world can never give us uh, as, as far as fulfillment and joy, Lord, in our pursuit of you. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would show us your ways, that you would guide our footsteps, and help us to have hearts, Lord, to be obedient to your word and obedient to the things that you've commanded us, Lord, so that we can prolong our days, Lord. Uh, not Maybe not even physically and maybe not as a nation, Lord, but in our hearts and in our families, Lord, uh, that we would put you first, Lord, and we would see the blessings of your hands upon us, Lord. Use us, we pray, to shine a light to be different, Lord, uh, amongst the people that we find ourselves in in this day. And we pray, Father, that there would be a light that could not be hidden, Father, that shines from us, a hope, a joy, uh, Lord, that people may reject, they may run from, Father, but they would be undeniable that it's there, and it would be undeniable, undeniable that it's there because of you, Father. Lord, have your way in us and use us as you see fit, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody.